Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Hi, Fee. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. I'm very well indeed. I'm, 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 I'm fully into the year now and uh, keeping busy on all fronts, as I know you are. Yes, indeed. So more to the point, how are you doing end of week one in your rehearsal room? Yeah, very well, thanks. Um, it, almost suspiciously good. We're all kind of going, oh, shouldn't it be more difficult than this? But uh, yeah, end of week one and all good so far. Sadly, uh, I know people will be wondering, um, because I've been so busy, the kettlebell has had to take something of a back seat. So I will have to pick that up, as it were, once I get out the other side. But Michael, you're being very delightful there, but I'm sure everybody listening would also really like to know what rehearsal room you're in and for what purpose. Yes, it's for a play called Tom Fool, uh, written by a German writer called Franz Krutz, written in 1978. And it's going to be happening at the Orange Tree Theatre in Richmond. We open on March the 16th, I think it is. And uh, I think it's really terrific. It would be lovely to see any poetry exchange listeners uh, there. Please come and say hi. Fantastic. And it's such a terrific um theatre to to see a play in isn't it I, I love that theatre I know many people in London do yeah it really is um it's a place I've wanted to work for a while now actually I think uh Paul Miller has done a terrific job as artistic director there it's a really dynamic theatre and it's in the round so it's a terrific space to to watch plays great great well we're lucky to have you here for this brief moment of conversation because you've got to get back to the lines but um and actually you I think you must have been busy somewhere else the day that uh the conversation we're about to share took place um because uh I remember it very very well it was um a fantastic experience it's another one from our day at the Birmingham Midland Institute um which was a fantastic place to be hosted and uh we were really delighted to have the chance to speak to our guest and to hear about this poem. And there's something really fun. We've got our guest this month is Casey Bailey. And he is, um, I was going to say up and coming, but he has up and come, I think it's fair to say. He is the current Birmingham laureate. And in the conversation uh, also is a previous Birmingham laureate, our very good friend, Roy McFarlane, who is now the Canal laureate, I believe. So just... Too many laureate ships flying around. Yeah, I felt left out, Michael. I've got to be frank. <laughs> give it time, Faye. Give it time. <laughs> and, of course, talking about a poem by another fantastic Brummy poet, Liz Berry, who we've featured before on the podcast. Um, I think it was her poem, A Republic of Motherhood. And uh, we were talking to Anna about that poem. So if you haven't heard that one, go and check it out. Yes, that was another great conversation. And it's actually just wonderful to be celebrating Liz Berry's work with this conversation because I, I I, don't know her myself, but I know what a figure... Uh, uh, well, this will come through in the conversation, but I know what a figure she is for poets around the country and the world um, with her beautiful and 
fantastic work and also what a particular force she is in that locale and that community of poets so it's it's really lovely to be able to celebrate that connection absolutely so you'll be hearing Roy and Fiona talking about The Way Home by Liz Berry the poem that's been a friend to Casey Um, can you give it a read for us? I will, yeah. Take me among the poplars, where beaches surrender to a path of gold, before the silver birch, its slender body tongued by the mouth of dusk. Take my hand in yours as a path disappears, and do not turn from me when I kneel to bury my old life in the wet earth, the life I wept for those nights, the one I dreamt I would lose. For our boy is waiting inside me, his love a green bud and nothing matters now but this. This autumn afternoon in a singing copse where we will lay ourselves down like copper leaves that he may never step upon anything but light. Man, I love this poem. <laughs> and I, I often, if I read it out loud, it makes me cry. So I was trying to compose myself and oh. not cry reading the poem. Amazing. That's so beautiful. Such a beautiful poem. It's stunning. Yeah. And how you can do that much in such a short poem. Mm. And then if you ever are fortunate enough to hear Liz Berry read the poem, then you know. Liz Berry could probably read the dictionary and make it sound really good. Mm. And then she writes the best poems as well. So I imagine, Casey, that you could have brought many a friend Mm, when you were asked that. So what made you bring this one today? I think, so So the concept, I guess the concept of um, the poem as a friend is quite an abstract concept. And so there are a lot of poems that I think would tick the box in my head for what I think somebody would bring for that poem. But this poem it is actually like one of my friends in that my best friends know me as I was, as I am, and probably as I aspire to be. And... This poem is really, I find it really weird because the whole first stanza of this poem does not mean to me what I'm sure it meant to Liz when she wrote it. But the whole second stanza of the poem means exactly to me what I'm sure it meant to Liz as she wrote it. Ah. So clearly the poem's about parenthood. It's about preparing for parenthood and what that means and all of the trepidation that comes with that and excitement and the importance of it. But when I read the first part of this poem, I think about me as a boy and all of the madness and wildness I got into and I look at this whole thing about burying my old life in wet earth the life I wept for on those nights I dreamt I would lose and I'm not thinking about me as a father I'm thinking about me as a a a little terror running around the streets of Birmingham and actually only my friends who I've known a very long time know both that man and this man Mm. and so this poem is like one of my real friends Mm. it it knows me in different ways or I know it in different ways Mm -hmm. and I think this goes to you know the conversation that people have around the accessibility of poetry and I saw some stuff recently where people say you know if you're trying to make poems accessible you're almost questioning the intelligence of the reader Mm. but actually there is something about this poem that is very accessible to me it's not what Liz was trying to communicate when she wrote the poem but what, because she didn't veil what she was trying to do so much, 
that I couldn't get anything from the poem, I can get something totally different mm. to what she meant. Mm. And then that last line, that, which is normally when I cry, uh, <laughs> mm. that he may never step on anything but light. I mean, don't we all just want that for our children? Mm. Mm. And I just read it and I just think, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and we will lay ourselves down like copper leaves. We'll do that so that you only ever have to step on light. That is just huge. And, and, and that reminds me of my dad. So there's so much in this poem. Mm. You know, we read a lot of poems and we go, I connect to that, I resonate to that. And often they're quite direct. Mm. So the poems that I immediately resonate to, they are written by somebody like me about something like something I've experienced. This is Liz Berry writing as a woman about to become a mother. And there's so much in the poem mm. that I'm just like, that's me, that's mm. for me. And knowing you like I do, the journey that you've taken in in the sense of the friends that you've lost mm -hmm. um working with the, the next generation of young people <laughs> and almost trying to draw them from the flame mm -hmm. as it were um when you look at the title the way home talk to them. the thing about this poem that i find really interesting and the concept of the title is i spent a lot of time thinking home was something i was moving away from and home is really something that we're always moving towards. And my home that I grew up in is still my home, mm. always. It will always be my home. It's not very far from where we are now. Um, and I will always feel like it's home, like even to the physical sense of, you know, I, will wa I walk in my dad's house like it's my house. Yeah. And sometimes I've, I open the door and come in there and I say, boy, don't I just walk in my house. I say, sorry, dad. <laughs> sorry, dad, you need to change the locks. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But that environment is still my home, but actually where I am now is also my home. And there is a lot about where I'm from that is me and has made me, and I have in, in ways shaped it, I'm sure. But it's not necessarily where I'm meant to be. And where I'm meant to be is exactly where my wife is and exactly where my children are. And I think there's a fear, I think, particularly when you, when you grow up in the kind of environment I grew up in and people will challenge and, you know, Yo, where, you live there now, you think this and that. Say a bit more, what do you mean there? So, so, I, so coming from an inner city Birmingham um, ghetto, for want, of, for want of a better word, um, there are people who, if you move out of there, they think, oh, you think you're better because you've moved out or you, you should stay here. And mm. I always say, I want where I grew up to change and I do a lot of work to try and make sure it changes and I put a lot of time into it. But I won't gamble my children's life on it changing. And so I know people who did everything right by their children and raise their children in an environment that, that damaged them, took them away in many cases, regardless. Mm -hmm. And I know people whose mother was a great mother and father was a great father and put in all the work and spent all the time that they could to raise their kids. And on one day, on a, the wrong night, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, the, the, you've got a dead child. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was losing friends. Um, and and I, I also have the issue of, the flip side of, you know, do you raise your children somewhere where they might not understand all of the things you understand? Then I have to back myself as a parent to teach it to them. <laughs> but you can teach a child in Nietzsche's, Aston, Hansworth, Newtown, you can teach them everything they need to know and they can step on the curb tomorrow and somebody who doesn't know all of that stuff can take it from them. Mm. Um, so there is this feeling, the sense of, well, if you leave, what does that mean? Does it mean you're soft? You can't, you can't survive around here? Or have you given up hope on where you're from or do you not care about these people anymore? Interestingly, I went to a christening on the weekend 
and it was in Nietzsche's where I grew up and I went into the venue. I spoke to one person and he, from looking at my life from the outside, I don't know who he thinks I am. He thinks that poetry is for superstars, Roy, apparently. Okay. So he, he was like, well, I'm surprised, you know, you never came in with the shades on and not wanting to speak to anyone. I'm like, do you think I'm, do you think I'm a, an actor? <laughs> um, so, so that was interesting. And then the next person I saw said, I'm surprised to see you back around here. And I says, why? And he says, well, you know, you just, you don't come around here anymore? I said, well, why would you say that? He said, well, I don't see you around here. I said, do you spend a lot of time outside? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, do you spend a lot of time looking for who is around? I said, because I'm at my dad's house, like, every other week. Do you want me to come and sit on the swings? <laughs> like, we're not 12 anymore, so. So, no, I don't just walk to the shops and stand outside the shops with, with an ice cream and go, like, oh, yeah, everyone outside the shops. <laughs> but, I'm a, but, you know, I come here all the time. Um, I says, oh, do you still live around here? He said, oh, no, I've moved. He's moved. But he was surprised to see me here. But really, he just decided in his head at some point he'd either seen something online or had a conversation with someone I thought oh you know Casey doesn't come around anymore so then this idea of home becomes quite a contentious one mm -hmm. because people want you to stay here and live here and be here and then you're one of us or if you go away you go away and the interesting thing in that is when I when I was growing up I always wanted to live in Nietzsche's for the rest of my life mm -hmm. and all of my friends wanted to leave because the dream is you you grow up you get enough money and you get out of where you live um, I don't know why that wasn't my dream at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, so yeah, the concept of home, of home as like a starting point and as a finishing point. And the poem itself kind of addresses that because it starts off as this thing that, that you want to bury and you don't, and you've, you've lamented it or lamented who you are or where you are. And it ends up in what you actually want for your child. It's not about at any point is it about where Liz is right now. Mm -hmm. It's about where I have been and where I want my child to be. <laughs> like, and there's something in that, that that's, that's really cool. But yeah, so it's just packed with so much kind of sentiment for me. And little things now. So I read this poem to my son. And uh, there's a line there where beaches surrender to a path of gold. Mm -hmm. And where we live, there's like a, a path of like, like not gold <laughs> you know crumbled up yellow like material whatever it might be but he calls it the golden path oh. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad yeah. I, I don't know why I felt the need to clarify to you that the path, the path where I live is not solid gold it's only nine carats it's only nine carats um, <laughs> but yeah my, but my son was like oh the path of gold the path of gold and he's excited about the poem most of it means nothing to him but that bit but there is like oh yeah yeah oh, that's um, incredible. so yeah So that really, that, in that aspect, I'm talking mainly about that, that first stanza, but then everything about those desires for a child. And I speak about my dad because I was raised in Nietzsche's by a mother and a father who were adamant that their kids were not going to become what every kid in the area seemed like people before they were destined to become. And that was a journey for them, I'm sure. Um, and, um, and we toyed with it and, and, and got ourselves way closer to the track than we should have been. But all along, I think, particularly for myself and my older brother, there was, and, th and this, this, this green bud, his love is a green bud. All along, there was something inside of us that we had been educated about what it meant to be a good person, what it meant to do the right thing what it meant to value yourself and not worry too much about other people's opinions, all of that stuff. 
at different points in our life, despite us walking very far down the wrong path. The reason there was a route back was because somewhere in there was all of this stuff. Mm. And that, and you know, that wasn't by accident. It wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't born the man that I am today. People say to me often, you're just like your dad. Mm. And I say, thank you. <laughs> that winds them up. <laughs> mm. but, um, but, you know, everything that we have, you can see the reflections in both of us of both of our parents at different times good qualities bad qualities fiery positive negative all of it there you can see it really clearly mm. and i always thought that everyone was like that but what i realized as i grew up is actually a lot of people don't have a lot of input from their parents mm. they just live with them yeah. <laughs> they're just under the they same just, roof we're just both here yeah and you talk about this green bird this and i know your dad I want you to share your dad's ability. So my, my dad, uh, he would not say he's a lover of poetry, but that's just because he likes to be cool. But my dad recites poetry and Shakespeare and all manner of scripts just from the top of his head, like at random. He, so the first poem I think I recognised was uh, Kipling, If. Mm -hmm. and, but my dad would say all the time. The first time a teacher tried to show me that poem and I finished the poem, and I finished it like, like you were telling me my name, like, <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know, yes, then my son, oh, yeah, you'll be a man, of course, yeah. And the teacher was like, oh, do you know that poem? I was like, yeah, yeah, my dad says it all the time. And he was like, your dad just says Kipling, if, all the time. I was like, yes, all the time. If you can keep yourself, when, oh, yes, yes, dad, I know, I know, dad, if I can still be me when other people are doing what they're doing, I get it, dad, I get it. But that would be, rather than say, just tell me, I'll send you to your room or whatever, he's reciting a poem to me, which is about this exact situation that we're talking about. Sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have an ungrateful child. Something like that was a Shakespeare line. And my dad, you know, every now and then, you know, you scuff up your shoes and my dad would say, you know how hard I worked to get you them shoes. Sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. And my dad, would, dad, what does that mean? It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? What does that mean? Why Where's you, the serpent? We're why, talking about my shoes, Why dad. are you speaking to me like an English teacher, dad? What is happening here? And it was so, he, he had, you know, these quotes and sayings that, that seemed never ending. And it was always a saying, an idiom that was always wrapped in real rich literature mm. or just use of language. Um, and so, yeah. So what point did that sort of go, I'm I picking think, that up? I, I I'm think if I'm honest, I'm acting way cooler than I am because it was quite early. Yeah. It was quite early. And, yeah. I, and I am the kind of times when people say, I'm like my dad, I'm very picky around language. So I don't like people using the wrong word because you don't need to, because the right words are. Uh, and people say, oh, well, you know what I meant? Well, why didn't you just say what you meant then? Because that would have been much easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I, had a, I was stuck for a long time. Actually, there was a poet who fixed my brain on this. I was stuck for a long time on the word literally. I hated when people used the oh, word literally and they weren't literally being literal. I literally can't do that. I was like, if you're going to use one word literally, please let it be literally. <laughs> like, you can do what you want with the rest of them but don't say literally if you're not being literal because you're winding me up um, but I let it go I let it go a poet, a poet said to me Casey you're showing no appreciation for hyperbole and I says hmm okay sometimes sometimes um, so yeah words and language have always been huge hugely important to me and I think yeah I think my dad would appreciate that poem definitely yeah definitely yeah. definitely he would understand that second sentence of that poem probably far better than I do. <laughs> the 
turn of phrase is really beautiful in this poem. It's sort of gentle and powerful all at the same mm. time. You know that line, when I kneel to bury my old life. When you said the turn of phrase, that's the exact oh, line that I was the one looking you at. To, yeah. That was exactly the one. Of, because I think what's powerful about that is there is not a word in that poem that most people don't immediately recognise. That when I kneel to bury my old life in wet earth, that is a selection of very simple words put mm. together in an very intricate and beautiful way. Mm. It didn't need a, a, a different way of describing earth that was a technical term that you're like, oh, what does that mean? It's mm. just, it's there. Mm. But what it means to you, it's like, mm. there's a Gil Scott Heron quote, which I love, I always go to around poetry, around poets basically trying to veil a little bit of what they're saying. And he said, you know, we don't, who needs poets to make things more complex? But one of the things he says is using language that is familiar to people mm. to describe something, normally something that is also familiar to them, but in a way that they haven't considered it. Mm -hmm. That's the art of poetry. Mm -hmm. Not me sitting there and going, I don't know what any of these words mean. Mm. Yeah. But this poem just doesn't do that. It, mm. it, it lends itself to the biggest poetry fan who wants a, the finest quality of poetry that you've ever heard, but also to somebody who can pick it up and just go, yeah, I kind of get that. I, I sometimes want to bury my old, old life and sometimes I cry about the life I wish I'd lose. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we lay ourselves down like copper leaves that he may never step up on anything but light. The power in that, without needing to dress it in anything other than just, just the actual concept itself, is so strong. You can explain it in words that everybody knows. And I still read it and go like... Yeah. And you talk about that second part with your father and you kind of thing. But what about you as a father with these two beautiful that, that's the part that makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> because being a parent is just a huge privilege. Such a huge pressure as well. And and I I analyze interactions with people much more than analyze anything else. So if I write a poem and I've edited it a few times, I say, okay, I'm not happy with the poem. But I have a conversation with my son and replay it in my head, you know, should I have said that? Should I then I'll say to my wife, you know, don't say, no, don't say he's naughty or because we're telling him something about himself and that's really important. What are we, what are we putting in that we're not gonna be able to take back out? Okay. So, I'm, and that's, I think comes a lot from teaching because I meet kids very often and my specialism in teaching is around behavior. I very often meet kids who are full of words that other people put into them. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I say to them, you know, why, why did you do that? And they say, oh, well, I guess I was just looking for attention. And I think that's not what a 12 year old thinks is why they did it. Mm -hmm. But you probably spent the last four years with someone yeah, telling you, oh, you're just, you're just looking for attention. I go, no, I don't think you are. And they're like, oh God, it's not the right answer. I know, <laughs> I've learned this answer, I know this answer. And I say, what's really going on in there? Oh my God, you want, you want to know what I actually think is happening here, mm -hmm. not just the correct answer to your question of why I've done the wrong thing. And so with my kids, I'm so conscious that everything we say to them, everything we do around them, every action is shaping them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people just take that for granted and just, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want around your kids and then every now and then you just remind them how to be good. You know, oh, mm -hmm. no, you shouldn't do that. You know, you, know, you can't look, for example, I, I make a point of saying, and this is nothing to do with my kids, this is just life. 
I'll say please five times in a conversation. But I know people who never say please and thank you and then tell their kids, say please. Mm. They think, I know why your kids don't say please. I can tell, I can tell you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not rocket science. I can show you something yeah, here. Yeah. And, and so it's like we want to just, you know, we treat our kids kind of like they're, or like they are, like a poem. Like I will put in what I want to put in and take out what I want to take out, but mm. everything else doesn't matter because I haven't put it there. No, no, you're putting it there every minute of the day. What's really beautiful is the way that here in the second stanza, for our boy is waiting inside me, mm -hmm. his love, a green bud. So there's that image of what's inside, which obviously for Liz in the poem, we presume is to do with giving birth, right? Yeah. But there's this, that metaphor is resonating for you yeah, about, yeah. you know, what you, what put, you put in, in. But even what you I, give and what you hold. And even in her metaphor, our boy is waiting inside of, of me, his love a green bud. So if, if you think that through, you know, I've recently started gardening because I'm cool now. Um, you know, there's this, the, how rapid a difference it can make when you care for a plant or don't care for a plant. Oh, yeah. And this idea, his love is a green bud, like this is a start. And everything I do now could be the difference between this, this thing blooming and growing and do amazingly well or it withering because I haven't put in what I needed to put in. Mm, beautiful. So Katie, um, we usually ask, and it, uh, you know, I've got, I have a massive sense of this with the beautiful way that you've spoken about it, but if this poem is a friend to you, what, what kind of a friend is it? Um, it's, a, it's a knowing friend. It's a friend who you don't have to tell where you're at or what's going on. This is the kind of friend where you have to say, oh, this happened today. And then they know how you feel. <laughs> and they know what you did do, what you thought about doing, <laughs> what you could have done, and why you did what you did in the end. And, and this, this, is, this poem is, if I, if I compared it to my real life friends, I maybe have four or five friends that know me like this poem knows me. And what's interesting about it is in many ways, <laughs> I hope they don't hear it. It's a better friend than them. If I know I'm struggling and I've had a hard day and I don't just cry, just sprout out tears, I know I can t open this book and read this poem on the right day and I'll cry and I need to cry because I need, I feel like crying's like releases pressure out of my head. Mm. And so sometimes I'll get home, I've done it once or twice, so I get home and I, there's a build up and I can't feel the release. So let, me, let me read this poem mm. and I'll get to the end of that poem and it's waterworks. And I feel being in somebody's arms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It holds you safe. I'm safe with this poem. I'm very safe with this poem. And while I'm safe with my friends, growing up where we grow up, we don't call each other up and cry. <laughs> it's an unspoken rule. In fact, I think it's a, a very spoken rule. Spoken rule. Yeah. If you're about to cry, I'm gonna hang up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you on this, but don't actually yeah. cry. Liz Berry, The Way Home. Take me among the poplars, where beeches surrender to a path of gold, before the silver birch, its slender body, tongued by the mouth of dusk. Take my hand in yours, as the path disappears, and do not turn from me when I kneel to bury my old life in the wet earth. The life 
I wept for those nights. The one I dreamt I would lose. For our boy is waiting inside me. Is love a green bud? And nothing matters now but this. This autumn afternoon in a singing copse where we will lay ourselves down like copper leaves that he may never step upon anything but light. That was Roy with the gift reading there of The Way Home by Liz Berry. Our thanks to Casey Bailey, who came and gave us that fantastic, beautiful conversation about his life, his work and his connection with this poem. Just uh, wonderful to experience that and great to be able to share it with all of you. And our thanks, of course, also to Liz Berry for allowing us to feature the poem. If you'd like to find out some more about Casey, his second full collection of poetry is out. It's called Please Do Not Touch and is published by Burning Eye Books. We will, of course, leave a link in the notes. And also to Liz Berry's fantastic collection, Black Country, which was the Fora Prize Best First Collection. So, Fee, it's World Poetry Day coming up fairly soon. Uh, It's in March, I think, isn't it? Yeah, March 21st, I believe. So just to say, we will be doing something. Uh, Keep an eye on our socials if you follow us on Twitter or Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we'll be doing something to celebrate World Poetry Day. And it's been a busy time with the planning, uh, hasn't it, Michael? I mean, you've been busy with the line learning. John and I have been uh, very busy with conversations with people who we're going to be Uh, meeting with on the ground and seeing in the spring and summer months so there'll be more news of that coming soon and that will be in a newsletter which uh, is a little bit delayed we would normally get one out in January but there'll be one coming to you soon those of you that are newsletter followers and again if you're not already then do sign up because it's the best way to find out about what we're up to. That's right so just go to our website thepoetryexchange.co.uk and you can sign up for the newsletter there. I think that's about all we've got this month, Fee. I think you're right, Michael. We'll be back with you next month with more poems as friends. Until then, thank you for listening. Listener.